Our preacher this morning is the Reverend Grant Vissers. Uh, Grant is an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of Canada and one of Micah and my friends from seminary. Um, him and his wife Connie serve at a church together and their, wife, their daughter Anna is also up there. 11 months? Yeah. 11 months. Um, Grant is used to uh, moving a little when he preaches. So if he does, it is not an excess of coffee. Uh, it is, in fact, just the style. So I'm going to help set him up here, and then he's going to get started. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Can you, can you all hear me? Yes? Okay. Perfect. Good to go. Thank you. So it is, uh, it's good to be with you today. Uh, I, brought <clears throat> I brought some props and illustrations. I hope that's okay. I'm just going to set those here. And then you can uh, take the next 15 minutes to try to figure out what I'll do (laughs) at the end of the sermon. (laughs) But it's, listen, it is great to be with you. I've heard a lot uh, about this church from Brian and Micah, all good things. Uh, It's great just to be here and to worship together. When uh, Connie and Anna and I decided to come down, I just, uh, a few months ago, I think I put the bug in the air. I said, hey, uh, if, uh, you know, if if you'd want one of us to preach, let us know, and uh, we we enjoy doing it. So it's good to be here. It's good to to open up God's Word together and uh, and, uh, to, uh, well, basically to pray through what what it might mean for us today. So back home uh, in Canada, listen, if I say some things that you don't understand, just like, just stop me right there, and and uh, and we can figure it out. But uh, back home, uh, we are preaching through the Bible, and uh, so what we've decided to do is take 66 weeks. We're calling it Vision 2020. We started it January 2019. We're going to end Easter 2020, and we're preaching through the Bible. We're encouraging all our people to read through the Bible, uh, and we've got a whole lot of plans. But we're doing a book a week which is just lightning fast. And so what I thought I'd do, we're uh, hanging out in the Old Testament back home. Uh, I thought I would bring you a word this morning from the book of Deuteronomy, which is not a book I typically preach on. um, But uh, again, I think all of God's word has something for us. And so uh, that's what we're going to do today. Deuteronomy, uh, two words, it's from the Greek. Listen, whenever a preacher says it's from the Greek, you can count on that sermon being the absolute best sermon you will ever hear in your life. Not at all. If a preacher says it's from the Greek, chances are that preacher uh, is a big nerd. Uh, but <laughs> two words. Sorry, if you're, if you're ministers in front of that, listen, I'm not saying anything. But, uh, if, two words. Deuteros, namos, second law. It literally means second law. And it's a big speech. It's a big speech given by Moses to the people of Israel right at the moment where they're about to enter the promised land. And so it's literally like a second telling of the law. It's a big reminder to Israel. Listen, you've got a chance to be different. You've got a chance to live life differently. You've got a chance to do things differently than the generations before you. Here is the way forward. Here is the way to do that. Here is the law God gave us. Remember it. It's Moses' last hurrah. Big reminder. And so I think for us this morning, I hope for us anyways this morning, that it's a chance to talk for a few minutes about our mindset and maybe even, more importantly, our heart set, though even in Canada that's not a word, so we'll stick with mindset. But it's a way for us, I think, to talk a little bit this morning about keeping our hearts and our minds focused and fixed on Jesus. So with that, uh, I'm going to pray, and then uh, we'll read Scripture together. God, thanks that you are alive, and thanks that you have given us this word, your Bible, your word to us, 
God, a word that is still alive and relevant and meaningful all these years later. And God, we believe actually by the power of your Holy Spirit, it still speaks to us. It still has words to speak into our lives. It still transforms lives. It still rescues lives. It still draws us closer to a personal relationship with you. And so, God, with that this morning, we would pray. Speak to us. Teach us. Stir, God, in our hearts and our minds things that are of you, maybe even things that are not of you. And God, would you, would you change us this morning? In the strongest name we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm reading from Deuteronomy 9. If you have your Bibles, I think if there are Bibles in the pews, if you have a phone with a Bible app on it, whatever you do to read the Bible, get it in front of you. Uh, We're reading from Deuteronomy chapter 9, verses 1 through 6. This is what it says. It says, Hear Israel, you are now about to cross the Jordan to go in and dispossess nations greater and stronger than you with large cities that have walls up to the sky. The people are strong and tall, Anakites. You know about them and have heard it said, Who can stand up against the Anakites? But be assured today that the Lord your God is one who goes across ahead of you like a devouring fire. He will destroy them. He will subdue them before you. And you will drive out and annihilate them quickly as the Lord has promised you. After the Lord your God has driven them out before you, do not say to yourself, the Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. No, it is on account of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness or your integrity that you are going to take possession of their land, but on account of the wickedness of these nations. The Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then that it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. We, uh, we as maybe awkward or painful as it might feel, we're going to stop there on that term, stiff-necked people, and we're going to settle in for a few moments on that term, stiff-necked people, because if you keep reading, if you were to keep reading, and I'd encourage you to keep your Bibles open in front of you, this is not the first time that Israel has been called stiff-necked, not even close. Israel has been called stiff-necked multiple times, and not just by Moses, but by God, and so what Moses is doing in this moment is reminding the people of Israel, look, you have been called stiff-necked by God. See, shortly after God rescued uh, Israel out of Egypt and delivered them from slavery. Uh, They're exited from Egypt and brought immediately on a road trip. A road trip. How many of you have been on a road trip before? So Israel and God are getting reacquainted, right? After slavery in Egypt, Israel and God, they need some time to get reacquainted. And so what better way to get reacquainted or get acquainted than to go on a road trip? How many of you, let me ask you this, have been on a terrible road trip before? One that went incredibly sideways. I see a couple hands. I have. Uh, listen, right after my wife and I got married, in our first year of marriage, we went on a road trip. We went on a long road trip. We started in, uh, well, north of, north of Toronto, where we live, and we drove all the way to Seattle. And when we got to Seattle, we were like, what better place to eat sushi than in Seattle? But we didn't check the news to realize that there was a salmonella outbreak, specifically in sushi in Seattle. So we had sushi in Seattle and got incredibly sick. 
But that wasn't the end of the road trip because not only did we have to drive all the way home, but we had to drive all the way to Princeton, New Jersey for a wedding between one Brian Tank and now Micah Tank. (laughs) So with Salmonella, we drove from Seattle through Portland and Oregon and then all the way across to Princeton, New Jersey. And let me just tell you, we got reacquainted really quickly. Uh, It went sideways. The road trip that Israel uh, and God were on also went sideways, uh, way more sideways than our road trip went, really quickly. And almost all of Israel, if you remember, almost all of Israel ends up disqualifying themselves from entering the promised land, Moses included. They're out, they're off, not in their future. God says, not for you. And so what happens is God frees Israel, reminds them of the covenant that he had made with them, and then gives them the law including what we've come to know as the Ten Commandments. And then what happens is that Moses returns from receiving the Ten Commandments to find that Israel had forgotten God. They got fed up with waiting and so constructed idols for themselves, images of God, because they lost faith that Moses was coming back. They lost faith that God was still God and that he was who he said he was and that he was going to do what he said he was going to do and maybe he's not even real anyway, so let's make for ourselves idols. And so there's the whole scene smashing that Moses has to go back up the hill and Away we go, but it's this pattern that we see all throughout the Old Testament. God saves Israel. Israel forgets God. Right? God delivers. Israel rebels. God provides. Israel complains. God forgives. Israel disobeys over and over and over. And so what could have taken like 11 days to get there, their, their journey ended up taking 40 years Because for 40 years they had to wait for one generation to pass away and a new generation to rise up and be ready to enter the promised land. And so for 40 years, 40 years, Israel wanders and they wait. And then finally, in this moment, they're positioned just on the edge of the Jordan River. They can see the promised land. They are right there. God has them ready to enter. And you've got to think, you've got to think they could almost taste the milk and the honey, like they are so close. Moses, on the other hand, Moses knows that he's not going to enter the promised land. So this is, like I said, basically Moses' last hurrah. It's his final speech. It's his parting words. And so he takes the time to lay out for the Israelites that they have the opportunity to be different They've got the chance to set a new course for Israel and be different than their parents' generation and their grandparents' generation and any generation before them. They have a chance to choose to obey God. So Moses lays this out before them. He says, you've got two choices, blessing or curse. And it sounds like this, obedience or disobedience, life or death. They have the opportunity to pick one over the other. They've got this chance to obey and be blessed. They have a chance to change their mindset and to change their hearts and to choose to remember God and obey God. The only problem is that they don't, at least not in the long run. And sorry, I maybe should have said spoiler alert. They don't. They don't do it. Also, spoiler alert, Moses dies at the end of Deuteronomy, so there's also that. But... The new generation, this new generation of Israelites, they finally got a chance to be different and they think they're going to do it and they don't. They don't choose a different path. And if you read Deuteronomy, the whole book, it it actually seems like Moses knows ahead of time that this is going to happen. 
He's got it all mapped out in his head. He knows they can't do it. And it seems like he knows the future, but probably more accurately, he just knows because he spent 40 years with these people. He's like, hey, you're not going to do it. I mean, I hear you You say you're going to do it, but you're not going to do it. I've seen the way you live. And so eventually Israel rebels and chooses disobedience and curse and ultimately death. And they do it because Israel's failure and stiff nakedness, and I don't mean nakedness, I mean stiff neckedness, is, I think, characteristic of all humanity. It is not just something that the Israelites struggled with. We are all stiff necked. See, for some reason, when given the choice, human beings, all of us, will always choose curse over blessing. We are stiff-necked people. My daughter, Anna, she's up in the balcony, I think, somewhere. She just recently learned to walk, and it's incredible to see. Like, she just, you know, like, she wants to run. It's, it's, I mean, it's really funny. But she, I mean, forget trying to tell her where to go, right? Like, we've spent a couple of days with you now, Brian and Michael. Like, forget telling her that it's dangerous to go over here. It's not dangerous to go over here. Forget telling her that there's stairs over here and there's no... If she wants to go in a certain direction, she will go in that direction. She is stiff-necked. At 11 months, we're in for it. Humanity is stiff-necked. And Moses could see it. Moses could see it. You have a choice. We all have a choice. Blessing or curse. And so often we choose curse. A writer named Paul puts it this way. He says, and this is my own paraphrase. It's not for you. You can find it in the New Testament. He says, listen, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what I'm supposed to do. I just don't do it. And the thing that I know I'm not supposed to do, for some reason, I just keep doing them. There's something about being human that leads us to do what we know we should not do and to not do what we know we should absolutely do do. The thing I hate doing, I keep doing. And the thing I long to do, I don't do. Do you have that thing in your life? That something in your life that you know you should not be doing, but for some reason you just return to it over and over and over again? Or maybe, listen, maybe that's not your struggle or your battle, but do you have that thing that you know you should be doing and you've been sensing God calling you into it? Maybe for days or weeks or years, and for some reason you just can't bring yourself to take the first step to do it. We are stiff-necked people. And so this is, thanks be to God, where we come to our second point. Because the second point this morning is this. It's this. Remember, remember, that thanks to Jesus, it is not because of your righteousness. Not because of your righteousness. So what I want to do is actually reread a chunk of this passage again. And so I'm going to start at verse 4. And just listen, just listen to how many times Moses says, Not by your righteousness. So this is after the Lord your God has driven them out before you. Do not say to yourself, The Lord has brought me here to take possession of this land because of my righteousness. And he goes on to say, no, it is on account of the wickedness of the nations that the Lord is going to drive them out before you. It is not because of your righteousness, he adds, or your integrity, that you are going to take possession of this land. But on account of the wickedness of these nations, the Lord your God will drive them out before you to accomplish what he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and Jacob. Understand then it is not because of your righteousness that the Lord your God is giving you this good land to possess. For you are a stiff-necked people. Three times he says it's not 
because of your righteousness. And so I say this morning, thank you, Jesus, that it is not because of my righteousness or your righteousness or our righteousness that we accomplish or get or are given or find anything only by the righteousness of God. Three times he reminds us, it is not because of your righteousness. See, it would be really easy at this point in Israel's story, it would be really easy for Israel to say, yeah, we made it. Listen, our parents' generation, they didn't make it. They weren't good enough. God didn't allow them into the promised land. And the generations before surely weren't good enough because they ended up in slavery. But us, we get to cross the Jordan. We get to do it. We get to take possession of the land. And so that must mean that we did something right. It must mean that we are righteous, that we are in right standing with God. We are great. Go us. How amazing. But it's not. It's not by our righteousness. And so Moses pauses and he says, don't for a second start to think that you've accomplished anything on your behalf. How many of us, myself included, ourselves included, how many of us live out our lives with this kind of mindset? Thinking that if we could just be good enough, maybe, maybe I could be worthy. If I could just do good enough, maybe I could be deserving of love. If I could just earn enough, maybe God would say, well done. Maybe God would look at me and say, good enough. You're good enough. How many of us live out our lives trying desperately to do enough good, to earn enough good things that maybe one day we will make it? See, the Old Testament, and actually I think all of Scripture maybe even all of human history, is a constant struggle to be good enough, to do good enough, to earn enough, and never quite making it, never quite making the mark, remaining stiff-necked and doing what we want. You see, many of us, I think, live our lives trying to find balance or trying to maybe even not find balance, but to try to do good enough. And so we think of our lives like this jar, and I'm sorry to look, I'll try to stand to the side. We live our lives trying to think that if I do good enough, I'm going to add good to my life. And those are good deeds. I'm putting them in the bank. They're going to stay with me forever. And I'm going to focus on doing more. But then suddenly we mess up and we do some things that we know we shouldn't do. Well, logic says that those go in the bank also. And then we go, okay, i got to turn my mind around and I'm going to do some more good and then the bad creeps in and I'm going to do some more good and maybe hopefully at the end of the day I'll end up with more good than bad in my life. And if that happens, maybe then maybe just, maybe God will love me and accept me and, and when I die I will know where I'm going but only if I've done good enough. Only if I've added enough good. And the reality is, the reality is that Jesus comes in and has those same words for each one of you and those same words for me, that it is not because of your righteousness. Translate this, it is not because of the good you are able to do in your life that you will inherit eternal life. It is not because of the good deeds that you will be able to do in your life, and you may be able to do a lot of them, but it is not because of the good deeds that you will do in your life that God will love you, that God will say you are mine, you belong, I bought you back, you did good enough but it is only because of Jesus' righteousness. And so Jesus comes along and he says, hey, it's not by your righteousness, but by my righteousness. And he says, fill your life with my righteousness. 
not with your good deeds. He says, when you fill your life with my righteousness, the good deeds, sure, they might flow out, but it's not what will earn you eternal life. And so suddenly, life ceases to be about adding good to your life. It ceases to be about trying to be good enough. And it starts to be about adding Jesus to your life. And then we know when you add Jesus to your life, Jesus flows out of your life. And so sure, we are called to do good. But we're called to do good out of the overflow that is the love of God and the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. And sure, we might stumble and fall and do bad, but we say, okay, more of Jesus in my life. Thank you, Jesus, for your forgiveness and for your love. Without it, it's this constant struggle trying to put good into our lives, trying to be good enough, trying to do good enough, trying to earn enough. But with it, the good flows out. Listen, set before you this morning, set before each one of us this morning is blessing and curse. And we know the curse. The curse comes in many forms and many shapes and many sizes, but it all ends in the same place. It ends with death. But the good news is, the great news is that we know the blessing too. And the blessing also has a name, and the blessing's name is Jesus. The blessing's name is Jesus. And each of us, each of us has a choice this morning to fill our lives with blessing with Jesus or to fill our lives to choose curse and ultimately death. The only difference this morning between you, between us, and the Israelites is that you don't have to earn it. It is a gift given by God, given by one who loves you best. One last point before we close, and then we'll close. Choosing to follow Jesus always comes at a cost. And so you might be sitting there and saying, great, it's a choice. Choose blessing over curse. That sounds easy, easy enough. Why isn't everyone doing it then? Right? Why isn't everybody choosing the logical option? Choose blessing because it comes at a cost. And the reason why people choose curse is that it's actually easy. It's easier to choose curse. And, and listen, curse is sometimes fun. It's often lucrative. It it comes with ease and is easy. And there's also a reason why people don't choose blessing. It's hard. It demands something of your life. It changes your priorities. It changes the way you use your time and your energy. It changes the way you use your money and even view money. It changes your commitments. Things get turned upside down when you choose Jesus. But that's the reality of the gospel. See, the gospel is not opposed to effort. It's still going to demand something of your life. Absolutely. The gospel, though, is opposed to earning. And so we do what we do out of the goodness that we have received. The life that Christians are called to is one of obedience to Jesus. The life that Christians are called to is one of hard work. It's one of obedience and faith and belief and trust. Everything that the Israelites were called to The only difference, again, is that for Christians, we don't look at these things as earning us anything, but we do them willingly because they are a response to being given something that we could never earn and that we know we could never earn. They are a life lived when it's captured by the hope that is found in the gospel. Let me pray.
God, I thank you that you do capture us with the gospel and it is this image of being captured. You desire all of us, our whole lives, our hearts, our minds, every ounce of who we are to be committed and devoted to following you. And yet, God, we also know that our lives so many times is is not like that, doesn't look like that. And so, God, I would pray this morning for my friends, my new friends here, God, continue to challenge us. Continue to challenge us to obey and be bold and to step out in faith. But God, also with that, remind us that we are deeply loved and that actually we don't have to earn it. There's nothing we could do to earn it. And you would say too, God, that you give it to us willingly. This is the thing that you desire most for our lives is that we would be, well, that we would be captured by your love and your grace. And so God, this morning, remind us just how much we are loved Remind us just how close you are. And then, too, God, send us out knowing just how bold you call us to be. And I pray all of these things again, God, in the strongest name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.